We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a After stealing Dortmund's top striker and beating an opponent 10-3 on aggregate, Ivan Gazidis is finally vindicated as we prove that we are now operating exactly like Bayern Munich. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. You know, if it wasn't for that stupid fucking second goal we conceded to Everton in the first leg of this two-leg Premier League affair, it would have been 10-2. And my intro would have made perfect sense. But you know what? You know what I was driving at? 10-3, kind of the same thing. So what are we going to talk about? I mean, other than the debut goal for Aubameyang, other than the hat trick of assists for Mkhitaryan, other than the Ramsey hat trick, other than the three points, and other than the hilarious and great result at Anfield, it was just your usual shit weekend of football for Arsenal. So we'll discuss that with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. My name, of course, is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review. I am reliably told that that does good stuff for us. I don't know what it does, but I'm told it does stuff. So please do the stuff that it does so that we can have the stuff that we have, whatever those things are. I'm sure they're great. In any event, uh, we got a lot to get stuck into here. And Tim, it is a debut, uh, a home debut, a starting debut for Mkhitaryan, a debut altogether for Aubameyang, mm. and you couldn't have scripted it any better. Um I guess my first question to you is just what do you think of the way the manager set up the team? Yeah, I was um, I was slightly surprised to see Aubameyang start. That was the only thing. Um, I thought, you know, usually he's quite cautious about giving players their debut straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and also, you know, he'd, he'd been saying during the week that Aubameyang was, was ill. I, I'm not sure how true that was. I, I think 
like wasn't wasn't there some hearing he was supposed to give evidence at or something um the day the transfer went through and kind of Dortmund said, oh, he's ill. So I don't know whether the, it was just us keeping up that pretense and just kind of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's definitely ill. Um, but it, it all sounded a bit like uh, a bit like he'd start on the bench. And that's kind of what I expected. And I kind of expected that um, there would be, you know, almost an unspoken kind of uh, Lacazette. This is this is really your kind of not last chance, you know, but if you're going to do if you're going to do something, do it today um, kind of thing. Uh, so uh, that was the only surprise. It wasn't an unpleasant surprise whatsoever. The rest of the team was pretty much exactly what I expected. Um, Wilshere as well. I think, you know, he's played a lot of football recently. And I, so I wasn't too surprised to see him on the bench either. Um, I thought we'd go to four at the back. I, I think we're probably moving towards um, playing four at the back at home and three at the back away, loosely speaking, after that. After that Swansea game, I think that might be the death of the back four away from home. Not least because even against, you know, the so-called lesser lights of the league, they're pretty much all battling relegation now um, in the second half of the season. And so that, you know, they're, they're all a bit more dangerous. They're all a bit more desperate for points. So I'm not sure we're going to count on teams parking the bus quite so much um, away from home. Yeah. And going, going to a back four to try and be a bit more adventurous. But I, I kind of expected it against Everton, particularly it being an Aldice team. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, I was really, really enthused um, by what we saw um, in terms of, you know, that kind of that that free flowing football. We just we haven't really seen very much, and uh, I'm sure we'll come onto it. But I think Mkhitaryan was was hugely influential um, in terms of making that happen. And for us, it's a really positive sign to score five goals in a home game, and for Özil not to assist any of them, that's um, that's a really, really positive sign just, for us. That that points to a diversity of threat which just we haven't clear. had. So, because so, I want to make sure I don't misunderstand, you're saying that we were wrong to overpay for Özil, right? That that he's a bust, and that we've lost. <laughs> I mean, I, that, I yeah, feel like absolutely. that's what you're saying. Okay, okay, just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, no, give I, it all to Mkhitaryan. I, I get your point. I mean, it it is one of the concerns we've had is if Ozil isn't creating chances or previously if Alexis isn't scoring goals how is this team going to operate an attack and on this mm -hmm. day uh, we had a resounding answer of how it can operate an attack not that Ozil was poor he was fantastic but he didn't have to score yeah. or create goals and Alexis isn't an Arsenal player anymore and we did just fine so Clive let's purr a little bit over the guy who was man of the match I mean amazing that you can be man of the match in a game where someone else scored a hat trick but I, I don't think there's a lot of debate over this it's Henrik Mkhitaryan and yeah. Look, you know, one swallow doesn't make a blowjob, but like at the end of the day, sorry, sorry, that's a Deli Alley joke. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, we we were all kind of hoping that the Mkhitaryan we would get would be more of the Dortmund variety and less of the United variety, and it is still way too early to say, but he was quite bright against Swansea without getting a lot of attention because the game was a shit show and he was the man of the match in this game. What are some things you learned about him watching him in this uh, home debut? I think it's more what are the things that we got reminded about him, I think. Um, he's actually quite a fast runner, right? So back in the day when it was Royce, Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, you know, he's, he's as quick as, as Royce is not quicker. And he had a lot of pace 
off the ball and a lot of pace while he was dribbling. And and so I was looking to see if that was still there because when we all watched that Dortmund team, we all sort of we all secretly wanted all of them, didn't we, the front three to play for Arsenal, right? And um, we've got two at the moment, and the other one's a bit injury prone, but he's making a comeback, right? So um, so yeah, it's he was quick, he was quick, and he was strong. Um, and the things that maybe I hadn't noticed from the YouTube and all the highlights that you see is that he works quite hard defensively. And and that was a real surprise to me. Um, I didn't think... I thought he would press, but I didn't think he would press and tackle and challenge and be robust. And he just looked like a player who was saying, I want to play. I've wasted some time. I don't like it. I don't like where I was. I don't like wasting these last 18 months. And I just want to get started again and enjoy my football. And um, and, and Arsenal's like the perfect place for him because... We don't give. We don't tell you what to do. We just put you on the grass and say, "There's the ball, and there's your mate." And by the way, there's another guy there on three hundred grand a week. He can see a pass, and he understands. He's on your wavelength, and just go and enjoy yourself. And we put a young kid called Iwobi next to you. He'll do some running for you. He'll do some work. And then Aaron Ramsey looks around and says, "I like this," and 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 he and he casts in completely right. So um. I really liked the player. And the thing that I, I liked was that shot he had when he sort of strode forward and he and he just drove that ball. That means he feels comfortable taking responsibility. And I just think he just suits our team hugely. And I know it's only one, one game, but he even showed in the Swansea game that he's bright. I, I, think we got, I think we got something here. I really do. He looks like a... A football that we all recognise. You know, he moves like a a Riziki, a Kleb, a Nasri, a Fabregas. The same sort of mentality, the same sort of technical thought process. Quick, receive it all different size, two feet, play with their head up. That that's that's what we've grown used to. Am right, I crazy to say Arsenal. he's kind of a right-footed Jack Wilshere in a little bit too? I mean, he he receives it on the half turn. He first looks to drive it forward. He can beat a man, but he can pop up between the lines on the edge of the box and play little one twos. I mean, again, I realize they they are different players, but there's there's something about him there that just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think you know you know I love to sort of look forward. To, a few months, if not a year or so, and we've got him. At, they're both him and Urza at twenty nine. And will they be in a year or so's time? Will they be the players that are high up, or will they be the two that are slightly deeper, Ala De Bruyne and and um, and David Silva? Be slightly deeper. They're both a bit stronger. You know, they're stronger than they used to be, and they could be our our two number eights in the future, right? Like Wilshire. You, you never know. I think the. English football is changing away from the Petit Vieira days. So you might need one of them, but you may not need two of them anymore. If you have one in behind two ball players, you can make things happen. As long as they're they're fit, robust, look after the ball, and look after that interior of your team. And and so yeah, projecting forward at eighteen months, that could be the situation. Yeah. But um, I, my, like I said, a friend of mine who watches Manchester United said, play him deeper. You'll be surprised. He'll run the game. And Wenger's been talking about him being a the Cazorla type. And let's see where he ends up in a, in a few months' time, depending how he rebuilds in the summer with maybe some more sprinting winger-type players out wide. Yeah. We'll wait and see. I mean, the one thing that seemed clear is he had somewhat of a free role in this game because if you look at uh, you know the, the first assist, he, get, he provides that from the right wing. His, his uh, last assist for Ramsey for the hat trick, uh, again, from the right wing, but the assist to Aubameyang is on the what sort of the left half space at the edge of the box. 
Um, yeah. He popped up in a lot of areas. I also think, just quickly, Clive, impressed with the defensive contribution from a player that maybe was not a Mourinho favorite for that very reason. Statistically, he had a decent involvement defensively. Yeah, exactly. And he did. He, that's what the surprise was. And I think for, he may not be good enough for Mourinho defensively, but for us, we, to see someone move like that, he's... He's a, we might play him center half. You know I mean? I'm going to so, stop I mean, you. Yeah, I mean, to be good for us defensively, you pretty much just need to be aware <laughs> that someone might eventually be running towards your goal. Yeah, that's bad. Exactly. Just put your foot near the ball and see what happens. Right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he, he had a great all-round game, and, and everyone can see it. It's no, you haven't got to be no in-depth analysis. Your eyes never lie. As soon as you see him moving across the grass, you think, okay, this guy's got something. He fits our team. And then you just watch and see what the end product is, and he produces it on the day. Yeah, we, we had very few dribbles on the day. And, you know, since we've sold Ox and, and gotten rid of Alexis, there's not a lot of dribbling in the side. But you can start to see, I mean, Mkhitaryan can carry the ball. Jack Wilshire, when he's in the team, can carry the ball forward. Um, we need a little bit of that burst and that explosiveness, not just sort of tippy-tapping the ball around. And, you know, everybody says, oh, you know, now we can get back to a quicker passing game with Alexis gone. And, I, look, I agree with that. I absolutely agree that moving the ball quicker is very helpful, and you don't want someone who holds the ball too long. But you still need someone who can carry the ball along the ground, who can push the ball forward, not just through the passing game. And, and Mkhitaryan can do that, and it was great to see. Um, Tim, I don't want to cut you out of the chance to talk about Mkhitaryan. So really quickly, are mm. you sort of more impressed than you thought you would be in this albeit short period of time that you've seen him? What what kind of player do you think we've picked up? Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily that surprised. No, I, um, I, I was really, really, I was really enthused when we were linked with him about 18 months ago. Um, you know, I admit I don't watch that much Bundesliga, but he, he always just seemed like um, the Arsenal type, you know, and we've perhaps moved away from that uh, over the last last couple of years or so to our to our detriment overall. Um, and loaded too much on individual players, but I think um, I, I think one of the things I, I really liked. We're obviously banking on the Mkhitaryan Aubameyang understanding um, clicking pretty quickly, and we saw that. Um, and not just with the Aubameyang goal, by the way. When you look at the first goal, uh, Ramses, um, lovely, lovely little interchange between Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan on the edge of the area. And the really interesting thing about it is when you watch it back. The second, it's actually Mkhitaryan who makes the first movement. He he kind of drifts towards the penalty area. Um, and just as he does, Aubameyang has a little look over his shoulder, sees it, and he comes out, and they kind of swap positions. And it's that kind of unspoken, you know, fairly telepathic uh, understanding that you get between two teammates. And I think, you know, given that we've got a lot of short-term concerns at the moment, mm. I think... The fact that those two have that potent, that already have that understanding and that link up, um, is very, very positive for us. And he's just, you know, I've, I've said for quite a long time, you know, that I've asked, you know, obviously everyone knows we've missed Gazola, um, but I think we've missed Thomas Rosicki, um as well. That kind of secondary creative player, um, and and he really looks like um, he could do that. And you know, for for Urzel, I think I said on the last pod, you know. Stylistically, this team's taken a bit of a, a bit of a jump towards him now. You know, there's no Alexis, but there's a fast striker and there's a secondary creative player for him, and that um, that's very interesting for our team. My my only kind of concern is still without Alexis. You know, th those days when the sun doesn't shine, you know, and it doesn't all quite come off, mm -hmm. and 
you know, you just need that that little bit of something extra um, when the passing game's not going and the pitch is bad and and it, it's just not going for you. You you still need that kind of that X factor, as it were. I hope Abamyang um, is the one that can give us that. Yeah, I'm not um, so sure. But you know, that. against <laughs> well, only because you know, I don't against... think he's he's not a I don't know that he's a create the chances on his own kind of player. You know what I'm saying? I, I, no, I, no, he's not going to take the game by the scruff of the neck, beat it, beat a couple of men, or at least that's not what I'm led to believe. But yeah, no, no. But if he can take you know half chances, yeah, good um, point. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 look, I don't know that much about his look, game look, yet, but yeah, we'll see. I think we can agree on this. If if he can do some more nice flicks on the edge of the box, like what he did for that first goal, there's a chance he can at least be as good as Giroud was, and that's the hope here. Um, you know, if, if can we, I just come in, can, can I, I prefer not. That right? I mean, why not? Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think, I think what was interesting about the game was we sort of had it was quite simple to read what the players were. I know we had two centre mids. We had we had two sort of real real creators and playmakers in behind a forward that didn't really want to get involved in too much too much build up. But he knew what his job was. And when I start to see roles separate, and I can, it's easy to read the team. I often find sometimes with Alexis because he does so many jobs. He's our he was our best defender, best presser best creator and best goal scorer it makes it very hard to fit around him sometimes i think some of his movements which is why he's world class are so hard for defenders to read but i often felt they're quite hard for our own teammates to read do you see what i mean and so what you found that people just said well you just get on with it then mm-hmm. and you don't get that you don't get that collective that is not to rubbish the talent because the talent he has is unbelievable but you can't do anything on your own you've got to have that collective and what was really apparent, and I know it's a home game, we're great at home, and we've shown collective stuff at home in other games, but it looked very collective to me. And it's, yeah. it's a game I didn't go to live, and it, they look happy on the pitch to me. They look happy. Uh, and that, that's a, for an Arsenal being an emotional, flow based team, that's really important. And um, yes. so, yeah, when I go to my next live game, I'm going to be looking at that to see how everyone looks, the things you see off the ball, the things you see when people are talking to each other, if it's collaborative or is it frosty? And I think it looked more collaborative at the weekend. Certainly. And look, I, I don't want to pour any cold water on that. This was a lot of fun. And I think we have two good players in Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. And I think Mkhitaryan's German track record and Aubameyang's career track record speaks for itself. So there's no reason to sort of, I, I think, undermine the bright start they've gotten off to. I will point out that, look, I mean, I think we were all wowed by Kolasinac when he came into the side. I think Lacazette came in and we were like, hey, he's, he's better than we even thought he'd be. And so, you know, we, we have seen some bright starts and bright debuts from new players that have faded away a little bit. Um, I think, obviously, the best thing we can do now is say, off to the right start, looks really promising, and hope for more of it. And there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but I would say that... You know, the Aubameyang thing is interesting. And, and Tim, we're going to do something which is haphazardly, intermittently use uh, listener questions that we uh, ask for from Twitter in this podcast, then subsequently forget to ever do it again. So let's go ahead and start with just a question before we get on Aubameyang and, and his performance and the goal he scored and all that. You know, there's a lot of hand-wringing about Lacazette and Lacazette being on the bench and, you know, what did Lacazette do wrong or how, what are we going to do now? We have, we have Lacazette, who was our record signing? We have Aubameyang, who's our record signing? And Shambles FC, <laughs> uh, who is at Barrett Power on Twitter, you can kind of get a sense of what lens he views this through, says, 
Why do we as a fan base have a problem with having two high-level strikers? Lacazette, Aubameyang, surely both needed to compete in the future. In 04, we had Henry, Henry, Henri Bergkamp, we had Hen, uh, Thierry Henry, Bergkamp, Will Tord, Kanu, and no issue made then. Obsession with one main striker these days. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so there's a few things going. Obviously, we've moved towards one striker now um, as opposed to 4-4-2, uh, which we kind of had back then. But yeah, it's an observation I made immediately before kickoff. And it, one, so one other aspect of it is Arsenal fans um, feeling like that. So let's deal with that. Um, and I've, I've seen this a lot, and I was tweeting about it a lot last week. This kind of oh, how do we all, how do we fit them all into the team? And it's like we don't. They don't all play in the same eleven. But you know what? That's okay. We play a lot of games, and we need lots of players, and we need to have competition for places so it's fine it's it's fine to have you know th- this is what everyone was waiting for arsenal spent 50 million on a striker and then went uh do you know what actually we think we can get a better one and went and spent 55 million on him this is exactly what everyone has been wanting arsenal to do and uh with arsenal fans i think it's because possibly we're not used to it like look at look at who city have got look at who united have got they still both wanted Alexis Sanchez, and I, I, I don't know, I, maybe it's just an echo chamber thing, but I just didn't get the impression that Man New fans were going, oh no, how do we fit Rashford and Martial and Lukaku and Lingard and Mata um, all into the same team? Well, you don't. That's the answer. They compete for places, you rotate, you get injuries, you get suspensions. I, I also think we we tend to get invested um, in individuals. And I think some of it goes back to the whole kind of, you know, project youth thing, because the whole um, project youth thing in the early Emirates stadium years, we were banking on individuals um, to develop. And so we, and to become, you know, to realize potential. So we became very invested in how they developed and how individuals got on. And I think there's still a little bit of that going on. Plus, you know, with the likes of Ursula and Alexis, we've become, um, this team with some very obvious focal points. But it, but it's not just from Arsenal fans. And I, I think Arsenal fans will get used to this in time. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's like a massive panic. It's just something we're not accustomed to. But, I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of football podcasts. The Guardian Football Weekly called us a shambles for having a Bamiang and Lacazette. And yeah, so did, I've heard that so on others as well. Ramble. Yeah. yeah, the Football Ramble called us shambolic as well. And I'm thinking City have got Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus. No one's calling them a shambles for having two brilliant centre-forwards. Just as a counterpoint, do you think it is the perception that we have always been told we can't just splash cash, that we have to be judicious in how we yeah, do yeah. it, and that we've used two of our our two consecutive record signings on the same position i mean is that mm. is the question not necessarily that we've, we've that they're not both good players and that it's not useful to have both of them that that as an allocation of resources it is a questionable strategy yeah maybe but i, I think and and there is um there is some traction in that I, I think what we're seeing with arsenal now is that we're beginning to get to the stage that liverpool man you got to where we've gone outside the top four we're staring down the barrel of going out of it again. And so what do you have to do? You have to spend your way back in. Um, that's what Liverpool did. Liverpool spent a lot of money on a lot of players. They overpaid for quite a few players as well in the process. And, and you know, and the likes of United spent their way back in. And mm. that's kind of, I think, what you're seeing the start of at Arsenal. We've spent money on 28, 29-year-olds 
Um, we wanted Johnny Evans, you know, who's 30. We want, you know, we want now. We want instant results because that's the position we're in and that's the position we put ourselves in. But, you know, I, personally, I, I think enjoy it. We've got, yeah, 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 yeah. We've got two really good centre forwards it, and, and that's fine. And you don't have to worry about, yeah, and it is. I think it is quite an Arsenal thing. Just look at the like the really tiresome like Ramsey versus Wilshire thing. Like not like their teammates playing on the same team, yeah. who both have qualities and that we can benefit from both of them. It's like no, you have to choose one. Like like we're all six years old and it's top trumps or something. It's just it, it's a bit. It's a little bit pathetic to be honest. But I do think Arsenal fans will get past that. Yeah, and look, I, I think you can be much more critical of spending the money on players that just purely don't seem to have value. I mean, it was Kolasinac a waste of big wages? Was Granit Xhaka a mistake in terms of allocating midfield resor- uh, uh, transfer fund resources? Those are debates you can have because if the player isn't working out, then it's genuinely a problem. Having two really good strikers is not a problem. And I, I do think that Lacazette has been analyzed unfairly. I, I think... When he played with Ozil and Alexis, by and large, he played really well. Um, and he's struggled to impose himself away in teams that have generally struggled to impose themselves and, and leave much of an impact. So, you know, Lacazette still has a big role to play. Here's what I think is so interesting, you guys. The Europa League is arguably, I'm not saying definitely, but arguably the most important remaining part of our season. And Lacazette is the starting striker for the Europa League, period, mm. unquestionably. Now, I think the manager has a big responsibility to make sure that Lacazette plays enough to be sharp for that because the challenge would be, you know, if Aubameyang plays everything, and and look, I realize injuries and forced changes meant that Lacazette didn't get to come on. I think he was surely going to come on otherwise. But Lacazette has to stay fresh because he is a big, big key to us being able to win the Europa League. And I, so I, I think writing him off is useless considering that Aubameyang can't play in that competition is silly. And to your point, Tim, mm. about being surprised Aubameyang started, the only reason I wasn't surprised is there are 14 times he can play for us this year. That's it. And, mm. you know, if you don't play him in this game, it's down to 13. Not to mention, I think you want to get him a run out before you go to Wembley and play him against Spurs. So it made more sense to me in the context of, of that situation. Since we've talked about everything but his performance, I, I don't want to leave you without giving you the chance at least to say, what did you see from him? Was it exactly what you expected? A little bit different, and overall impressions? Um, it was kind of what I expected. I he he wasn't actually hugely in the game um, that much, but he, you know he got basically he got two chances to run in behind. The first one, um, you know, he he couldn't quite. He took a bit of a poor touch and couldn't quite get the legs going. Couldn't get the finish off, but. You know the guy. His movement was decent um, and everything else, but it, it was a little um, Lacazette-esque in that he was running, but not really getting the ball. Um, so, so in some respects, I have a little bit of sympathy for Lacazette because I don't think there was a huge uh, amount of difference between the performance we saw from Aubameyang on Saturday and what we've been seeing from Lacazette of late. That the difference is obviously the goal and the way he took that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, was was hugely confident, and it just shows you the, the quality of the guy. That he really had one big involvement in the game, and 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 that's what he did. Um, and that's the kind of that's really the the kind of killer instinct that we're looking for in the area. That said, it's not like Lacazette's been missing those um, <laughs> lately. He hasn't been getting them. That's that that's kind of more to the point. So, 
Um, you know, I, don't get me wrong, I'm very much on the Aubameyang train in the long term and I'm tremendously excited by him. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, this, this was... This was a fairly quiet performance, um, albeit with a brilliant goal. Yeah, I would, the only thing I would say is we saw something from him that we haven't seen in a long, long time, which was our center forward getting in behind and not being able to be chased down from the back. Um, yeah. The one where he hit it sort of straight at the keeper. I think he was trying to go five-hole between his legs and, and didn't get it there. But, you know, watching our star striker run away from defenders with the ball at his feet was a nice little flashback to the Henri days, and yeah, we haven't seen a exactly. lot of that. That was really exciting. I, I uh, Andrew Clark's breakdown mentioned that he had the most sprints in the game, which I think is a measure of involvement for center forwards in a way, maybe more than yep. touches on the ball because those sprints reference you know being engaged and being making the runs and making the, the effort to get into those positions. And so the fact that he had the most sprints I thought was, was at least uh, a good sign. Mm. Go ahead, Clark, yep. please. Yeah, you have to think what those what that's doing to the opposition. And there was a, I think Michael Cox did a great tweet. He sort of said that he could see at the weekend, he could see sort of Ashley Williams and, and Keane saying, let's get higher, let's get higher. They were arguing and Ashley Williams was saying, no, 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 let's drop off, let's drop off. And that's just in free play because they know the guy they're playing against is a threat. He can take them for a run. And once you start sprinting, so you, sometimes you have to do a couple of sprints, just let people know what you're going to do, and then you push people away from you, and they think, crikey, look at that, I better drop off. Then you get the ball to feet, you get the ball to feet in two yards of space. He's a smart forward play. He looked like somebody that knows his job. He knows his job. He was flipping from side to side. He was fixed himself in between gaps. He was standing on people's toes and running off them. And that's just somebody that says, yeah, yeah, I'm a forward. I'm quicker than you. I've got, I'm getting stronger. I will get stronger and fitter. And you've got problems, mate. And you've got problems. Let me see what you do. And uh, to watch him running away and four Everton players nodding their heads, straining behind him, I just thought it was fantastic. And I haven't seen that for a very long time. So I think Ranger started to see what he's got. And once he gets properly fixed, I don't think he is. If he was fit, he wouldn't have stumbled on that first chance. He'd just ran through and scored. I think um, we're going to get we're going to get something something very special. I'm, I'm positive. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree. Um. Let's do this. Let's step away and have Scott uh, provide a sort of statistical analysis of the game and the performances of Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang specifically. And when we come back, we can talk about uh, Aaron Ramsey FC and whether he will be sold in the summer. Okay, I'm here with Scott. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his great work on crabstats.blogspot.com, and he writes for theshortfuse.com. I think it's really important we have him on this podcast because without his statistics, how would you know if we played well in our 5-1 victory? Scott, hello. Hello. Let's dive into it. The players everybody wants to know about are Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan. Uh, dealer's choice, who do you want to discuss first? 
Um, you know, it, it's really tough, but I think Mkhitaryan really had one of the, the better games um, of the season. Let's hear so it. I think he's a good one to start with. Okay, so break it down for me. I, I mean, unless you want to just quickly give us the XG on this. I, I like to sure. get that out of the way. Just yeah, so we, we, we can always start with the XG. So this one was a, a well-deserved win for Arsenal. I had um, Arsenal with 3.63 um, XG to Everson's 1.25. Yeah, they got out early scored a bunch of goals, and then even um, had some chances late. So that's a little bit better than the last time against Crystal Palace where they kind of just disappeared in the second half. So uh, a lot better this game. It seemed to be a better start to finish. We'll take it. So Mkhitaryan, man of the match, hard to do when there's someone else who scored three goals and he had a hat trick of assists, and I assume the data loved his performance. Yeah, so, I mean, he was excellent. Um, You know, there's putting on my scouting hat to me um i was very impressed by how he was able to to pop up into all the little pockets of space and he seemed to really um be on the same wavelength as ozil um and he are we still connected yes of course sorry Uh, was the fact that i was not interrupting you distracting no see so what happened what happened is we had a i had a weird noise come through on my side no it was just no 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 just keep going it's just the sound of me not interrupting you people weren't used to it either so i'm glad we cleared it up keep going all right. Yeah, so he really did well um, popping into the, the open spaces, and I thought that was a, a great thing. So looking at the, the stats, um, so we had a vast passing value added of 0.31, um, and that's only on 42 passes. So if you break that out into a per 50 passes, it's a 0.36, which would put him into the, the 95th percentile for um, what you would expect. Um, Ozil did lead the team um, on the day, which is unsurprising because he almost always does, but he really looked like the offense was going through Ozil, um, but Mkhitaryan really seemed to key off of him well and was really good at getting that direct final ball. If you don't mind as, my stopping you, know, you now just to, to get everybody back on an even keel here and interrupt, is there an area that jumped out where Mkhitaryan was making his passes? Was it final third entry passes? Was it passes within the final third in the box? How did that break out? Um, let me take a look. Um, yes, I believe he did really well in the, the final third passing. That's good because, you know, I think that one of the big questions we've had is where the creativity in the final third work was going to come with Alexis out. And certainly Aubameyang is not the kind of forward who's going to get involved in the buildup that much. So be nice if he was sort of able to pick up the slack there. Yeah, so he was um, he was second on Arsenal in the, the final third passes. So he was 10 of 15. Um, Ozil was ridiculous, 27 of 31. Good God. Um, Even when he doesn't jump out at you with the eye, he's doing things that really set him apart. Okay, so I, I'm interrupting Mkhitaryan's big moment, though. Go for it. Yeah, so, I mean, I was super impressed. And then um, on the XG chain, he led Arsenal, um, which is unsurprising um, as well with how well he played. Um, the the one that I tweeted out earlier um, after the game, that one had some mistakes in it. Um, there was a some sort of an error in it. So his actual number for the game uh, was 1.69 um, XG. So um, fully um, almost half of what Arsenal produced came through Mkhitaryan today. Wow, that's really impressive. And then, of course, the three assists, um, which, you know, the, the, the assist statistic can be a little misleading on the day. I don't think it was. Anything else about him? I mean, was he d- dribbling at all, carrying the ball? His, his defensive participation jumped out at me more than I expected. Yeah, so I think I, I noted that he had three tackles um, on the day, too, which is three or four tackles, which is really good. Um, yeah, I, I thought overall he looked really nice. I, I'm super excited. I think he's excited to be away from the, the stink of Jose Mourinho. Aren't we all? And his, except yeah, and Dun- except Duncan offense. Castles, who's bought an yeah. apartment inside Mourinho's <laughs> anus. But okay, so, so Mkhitaryan, 
I think, easy to say that the data and the eye test both passed with flying colors. Aubameyang got his his debut goal. I don't know that he was as involved as you might like, but I don't know that that's his style. Anything about his performance jump out to you that may have not been readily apparent just watching the game? Um, you know, I think this is a pretty typical um, Aubameyang performance. Um, maybe a little bit less shots than what you'd normally expect. You might have normally seen him four or five shots, and he got three. Um, but here, they were both three really good shots. So what was his um, XG was for the game? His total XG, I just had it. i got to switch tabs here oh, real sorry, quick. That's probably my fault, because I know he is among the, the leaders in Europe in XG per 90. Yeah, so overall, um, he had three shots and an XG of 0.84. Wow, so, so that, that's, that's a, a lot. 0.28 per shot. So yeah, that's actually above his um, season average, um, and I think he should keep doing that. So yeah. even though it may look like he wasn't super involved, in terms of what he's there to do, which is be at the center of goal-scoring opportunities, he's doing it at the same pace or actually better pace than he was when he was just about leading Europe in Dortmund. Exactly. So it's very much a, a Theo Walcott kind of thing, but just the very best version of what Theo, Theo Walcott used to do. So he's not going to be involved with a, a lot of passes or a lot of buildup, um, but he's going to get on the end of things, and he is a deadly finisher when he does. So if you want to look at like yeah, the total offensive value, um, almost all of his value came from um, getting those shots off in those shot locations. Um, his overall passing was basically zero. Um, his carrying the ball um, was pretty much canceled out by the couple times that he lost possession. So, yeah, you're going to get um, value from Aubameyang getting shots off. And this, this game was a real good example of what he could do. In a team um, yeah, with, just with the, a lot of guys who don't necessarily have end product, you're saying he's basically all end product. Yep, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you saw the, the through ball that Ozil gave to him. That was just absolutely beautiful. That's something that I think I can get behind seeing that a lot more often. I think his first touch kind of let him down there. But to me, that's just, yeah, beautiful. That was what we always envisioned, or at least what I always envisioned when Ozil signed with the team. Yeah, as someone running in behind me, it was shades of Thierry Henry, uh, Arsenal center forward running away from the defenders. And that's that's what we haven't seen in a while. And, and it's great to see. So obviously the two of them also linking up both in terms of his flick to Mkhitaryan for the first goal that he provided to Ramsey, and then Mkhitaryan to Aubameyang, albeit offsides, but still linking up for the goal. Having that involvement together is good. Did we see anything in the data that suggests that Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang were maybe looking for each other more or no real trend there? Um, so that one, I, I did go and tried to see what the, the different passing combinations were, um, and there really wasn't a lot for Aubameyang because he's very much uh, on the last shoulder, not really looking to, to get involved in the buildup. Um, I believe that he and Mkhitaryan connected twice. Um, the most, uh, let's see, the most common one, I believe, was with him and uh, Koscielny of, you know, most ridiculous people. Um, but, yeah, so long, he's long not going to... Yeah, or I think there was also he was possibly involved in maybe like a corner or something like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so I wouldn't I wouldn't expect a, a ton of um, passes to go his way, but it was still good. It was still good. Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way: I th- I think everybody has to be happy with both debuts, and Mkhitaryan steals the show uh, with his creative performance. Aubameyang showing us a little glimpse of of hopefully what we'll see more of this weekend against Spurs. We'll skip the Spurs preview. We've got some of that in the main pod section, so that'll be fine. But hopefully we'll have plenty of good stuff to dig into after the North London Derby this weekend. You got any big plans to watch it? Um, hopefully I have a house to watch it in. Yeah, well, and, and you're on the West Coast, so uh, enjoy your, what, 5.30 a.m. kickoff? Yep. Good. That'll be a lot of fun. Scott, as always, we appreciate it. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. We'll talk to you after the Derby. 
All right, sounds good. All right. Okay, so the encouraging thing is that we got the performance statistically that our eyes told told us we got, which I don't think is super surprising when you win 5-1, but it's still nice to hear. Um, I wouldn't say it was a flawless performance. Adrian Clark's breakdown pointed out some of the sort of lazy, lackadaisical defensive issues that we've seen throughout the season. I think it's hard to evaluate how to interpret those when you're up 4-0 at halftime. I think a little bit of a drop in your concentration is to be expected. But you know that's something that we can maybe touch on. Tim, I do want to get to Aaron Ramsey, though. And actually, um, I guess the question I want to start with, first of all, is a, a listener question. It occurred to me we're still doing that. We're going to carry that through this entire <laughs> podcast and then never do it again. Um, so this one comes from Ben at GoonerBen10, and his avi is a picture of Aaron Ramsey celebrating. So I assume it is an unbiased question. Let's see. Why does Ramsey, despite being our only consistent goal scorer from midfield and boasting two match-winning FA Cup goals and being super handsome and please will you marry me, Aaron Ramsey? No, that part I made up. Uh, why does he still get flack, Tim? Why does he divide opinions so much? Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I think there's a few things going on. First of all, um, as I kind of tweeted yesterday. By the way, can you address your answer specifically to Aaron Ramsey, hater Clive? <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here ready to go <laughs> so basically um so i tweeted about this yesterday that um a lot of rams's best work is off the ball um which i'm not sure everyone appreciates and and that's not just by the way arriving in the penalty area um i think you know wenger talks a lot about arsenal's philosophy relying on pushing opponents back and he takes up very good progressive positions where basically he gets away from opposing central midfielders. He get, he finds himself in space. Um, whether his teammates can then find him, sometimes that's a bit hit and miss. And one thing you can say for Granite Xhaka is Granite Xhaka, actually what, one thing he is really good at is that kind of between-the-lines pass, as is Mustafi. And he's, he's really good at finding that little kind of half-space um, you know, away from the numbers, as it were. And so he, he really helps us push opponents back. Obviously, it's quite high-risk, high-reward, um, Rams's game. So, again, some people appreciate that more than others. Um, me, I personally, I like a risk-taker in a footballer. Um, one of the many reasons I appreciated Wojciech Szczesny, I like, a, I like someone who's, um, who's front-footed and is, is prepared to do that. Um, but willing, I get it. willing to risk does. a sneaky fag in the shower? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, yeah, or, you know, a Cruyff turn in the six-yard box. Um, if, if it, <laughs> you know, if there's logic behind the risk, I'm I'm more for a risk taker. And I suppose that's why, I, you know, I quite liked Alexis as well, um, more, more so than a lot of other people did. But, um, but I get it. You know, when we watch our teams, we're quite tense. Um, and I'm not precluded from that either. Um, and you kind of, you want a bit of safety. And, you know, listen, that that's quite understandable because you look at Swansea, you look at the Swansea game, you know, they were, we left our midfield empty so many times. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think 
it's difficult to appreciate Ramsey for that reason um, at times. I think a point you made in response to one of my tweets is is quite valid in that for the amount of time he spends going forward, he should score more goals. I totally agree with that. And I, but I think, you know, hopefully Saturday is a really good start with that. His finishing has been much calmer, much more measured yes, this yes. season. And um, great to see. And that. The Mkhitaryan pullbacks um, for him, two of them, like beautifully weighted, put, you know, put all of the power on it for him. And it was it was very similar to his winning goal against Swansea in October when Kolasinac did something very similar from the left, like pulled it back and, you know, it just had enough sass on it for him to guide it in. So um, there are green shoots there. But I, I mean... Uh, largely it kind of beats me to be honest why he's so unpopular I, I get I, I kind of get you know he has some foibles that can annoy people but like he seems to make pe- some people furious and I and, and I don't get it I, I do think there is also a little bit of this thing going on with like with Jack Wilshere that I was talking about earlier that that somehow a lot of people on both sides of this particular fence, it has to be said, have decided somehow that like it's like it's Ramsey versus Wilshire, like some kind of really shit Marvel comic spin-off. Um, and we have to take one side over the other and praise one at the expense of the other. And 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 basically Jack Wilshire's um he's he's more popular um with the fan base. And I, I think a lot of people see him see Ramsey as a threat to that. Um, so I think there's a, a bit of that going on as well. Um, but I, I also think, you know, like people get quite annoyed with him, like with back heels and flicks and stuff like that. And I kind of get that, but maybe on a bit of a tangent, I think a lot of football fans, particularly English football fans, really misunderstand things like um, flicks and back heels because it's not always um, a symptom of a player being ostentatious or overconfident. It's just genuinely a very efficient way to move a football because it catches opponent, opponents by surprise. And I think um, I think that's the other thing about Ramsey that greats is he's really he's really calm and he's really prepared to just play his own game and block out all the noise. So when he's got the ball in midfield and everyone's a bit tense and they're shrieking at him to get rid of it. He, you know, he calms right down. And uh, Chesney used to do the same thing. And people were convinced that Chesney's distribution was crap. And I maintain to this day it wasn't. It was just he distributed so calmly it made people nervous. And when people get nervous, they they think you know it made people think he was giving the ball away all the time. And I don't I don't think he was. And uh, yeah. there's something similar with Ramsey. He's basically he's got the wisdom to ignore the crowd. Um, is what I'll say, and that's potentially divisive thing to say, but I believe it. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's fair, and I think he gets blamed for our defensive frailty because there's this perception that if he's getting into attacking areas, it's at the expense of his defensive duties in midfield and protecting his midfield partners. And to some extent, mm. there may be truth to that. To some extent, it yep. may be what he's told to do. I think we have seen an Aaron Ramsey in Arsenal who sits deeper. We've seen it. When he came yep. back from injury a few seasons ago, he was sitting deeper. When we kind of ground our way to top four or whatever it was two or three seasons ago, he was sitting deeper. He's been most effective when he's been given the license to get forward more. And I think there's a Cavani syndrome here. Edinson Cavani has this reputation of, of being a terrible finisher, constantly missing big chances. It's just not true. Statistically, there is no evidence of that. The problem for Edison Cavani is he gets so many chances, which is a credit to him, and mm. takes so many shots, which is a credit to him, that even though he's missing at the average rate, 
you're seeing him miss more. And I think that's what mm. happens with Ramsey. Ramsey gets into situations that are exceptional so often, but the problem for Ramsey is unlike Cavani, he does finish at a lower rate than he should. He does underperform his XG, and big misses will always be remembered and always annoy people. And so because he misses at a rate higher, not just than the average midfielder, but higher than he should, that's what I think stands out in people's minds. Having said that, yeah. there was a fantastic article that came out recently talking about how everything we think we know about football is wrong and that actually finishing doesn't matter and that teams that create the most chances just win, period, and that chance creation is the most yeah. important thing in the game. And Ramsey's running creates chances, and that makes us better. Um, yeah. I think we have to turn this over to Clive, though, because he is our resident Ramsey hater. And so, <laughs> uh, Clive, I just love this. It's I'm going right. to lay this on th- as thick as I can, man. It's Clive yeah, AFC on Twitter, everybody. So, all right, I mean, he gets the hat trick. His finishing certainly looked better. Um, do you want to defend yourself or just let people send the hate on Twitter? No, no, no. I think um, I used to I used to be one of those people who get really annoyed about him, actually, really annoyed. And um, But basically, I decided... About two, three years ago, you can't do that. You can't watch football through the prism of your favourites, right? So, so basically, what I did was looked at him and said, "Okay, what what do you do well? Or what do you don't do so well?" And I, I often feel when I do get annoyed with him, when I do find myself getting more frustrated, is when he does like a Swansea game, funny enough, when he tries almost too hard, when he when he goes forward too early, and finds himself in a static position up front offering nothing in a crowded box. And I've often felt if you were to time your runs and be arriving much later, you have got a fantastic edge of the area shot on both feet. And we don't see it. You put yourself in the six-yard box. When that's the when that, for me, the job of somebody else, and what you need to create is separation and lines of attack. And the goals at the weekend, he saw one line on the first goal. He, and the other one, they were both cutbacks to the edge of the area. And I'm, and I'm thinking, that is exactly what I've been saying for years. Because if you're a centre midfielder, if, you, if it breaks down there, you can get back in. But if it breaks down and you're on the penalty spot, you can't get back. And then everyone looks at our gaps in midfield and wonder why it is happening. So for me, I get annoyed at the at the tactical immaturity sometimes to get himself into areas where he wants to be. And if he was scoring at the rate of a Frank Lampard, I would not be saying this because he would have won us many games, one nil, and we'd be, and we'd all be thinking, crikey, we got away that one. But Frank Lampard's best period came on the left of a midfield three when he had Essien and Makaleli behind him doing his work. He could do what he likes. He could take shots here to the area and score and go where he likes with us the structure that we have, we ask Ramsey to do two jobs, to hold our centre midfield and to be a goal scorer. And that puts him into a debate because people who want to see their midfield populated say, where are you? And when he doesn't score, and, and people that love him getting forward and breaking into the box and scoring, they say, well, he's doing his job. And it depends how you see midfield. I, I tend to want my midfield to be populated, but I have learned to appreciate what he does. I have learned a bit more about tactical side and understanding about pushing teams back. Um, the, actually, the game that turned it for me was actually was Wales-Belgium. I watched that game, high-level Belgium side in the Euros, and Ramsey absolutely ran all over them. And I just saw his value. But again, where was he playing? 
He was one of two number 10s retired as centre forward. So I think he works really well with freedom. I would love him. I said a tweet at the weekend. I would love him to play more behind the ball, like he did at the weekend, rather than play like a Steven Gerrard. I like to see him play like a, a Tony Cruz type player and arrive. That goal he scored, the third goal, was very similar to a goal that Cruz scored at, at the Emirates of Bayern Munich. Just flips it in, near post, whipped it around the corner. He has that. And the thing about him that I have learned, he can play all the roles. He can play wide in midfield. He can play deep. He can play centre. He can play 10. He can do it all tactically. It's all about defining his role and, and then coaching him to do what he did at the weekend more often because then he doesn't expose us in the centre and his arrival is much more timely. So I've learned to not hate, but I would I also know what his best game looks like. And I've seen it. I've seen some great games. The cup final, Chelsea away. At the weekend, he cashed in on, on some good efforts. But yeah, when he's fit, he looks like a different player. But we go back to the Jack Ramsey thing. Are they one player? Are they really yeah. one player on games that they miss? They miss a lot of games. I mean, Ramsey's just back from missing 13 games. That's that, a lot of football. It's a lot of football. But I mean, I that, that's and that's really the problem. So, well, then let me ask you this, Clyde, because we, we did get some questions about this. And one of them came from, again, we're doing this listener question thing. I don't know if I've mentioned this. Um, yeah, you're big, doing big, well. You're doing well. Big, big feature of the podcast. Um, <laughs> this one comes from Brian at Gunner Faithful. Um, Ramsey being sold in the summer makes too much sense not to happen, right? I mean, I I think he's being a little tongue-in-cheek, but it is the question that based on that fitness and based on the question of whether these are roles that are occupied by other people, he can clearly be so influential for us. Would you put him on the two hundred grand a week he's going to need and tie him down for five years to... To keep this guy, I mean, is that's that is a big question. You know, we talk about how we use resources. We now have big resources tied up in two center forwards, big resources tied up in two mercurial playmakers, and Mkhitaryan and Ozil. Are we are we ready to tie up big resources? It, it, presuming we're going to lock Jack up to a contract, not a, not a big one. How do you feel about Ramsey being a centerpiece of the midfield on two hundred grand a week with his his injury track record and the role he plays? It's, this is a this is a tough one, right? And it's going it's going to be a busy decision and a and a, and a medical department decision because you know with Jack's injuries they've got all his records and all they know exactly how much metals in his legs, right? And and Ramsey's injuries are, are a lot of them are muscular, and if you notice they sometimes they come late in games. They're not warm up injuries. They're they're late in games, which means they're fatigued, breaking down, o- uh, overloaded. I think it's a tough one. I, I've just got this hunch, I've always had this hunch, that one of them is not going to make it. One of them is not going to make it. They both want to be the man. They both want to be that player. One of them is not going to make it. And I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a sad thing. I think it's just going to be, I've just, we just reached the end of our cycle. Right? So, but again, if they were both to stay, that, that's, I've, I've got no issue with it. Because, what we do as fans, we keep picking our first 11s. And football's just not like that. You need a, you need about 20 players that you can rotate. And, yeah, but you can't put 20 players on 200 grand a week, right? I mean, this is the point. Yeah, exactly. the, the, the new squad building model, unless you're, uh, unless you're City or United, is five, four or five stars and then a bunch of squad players who can fill in the gaps. So at 200 grand a yeah. week, you're saying Ramsey's one of your stars. Is, is, he one, is, is he a guy that can be one of our stars going forward? 
I, I think he's a really good player. I don't see him as a pedestal player. I, I never have. I see him as a really good player. I don't see him in the in the Urzel Alexis class. I see him in the in the level below, right? So I see him with with like Koscielny <coughs> level of of wages. You sort of mean that level below. I've always felt that, and I I just don't think he's he's out there enough. I just don't think he's at that top level. And well, we've got a decision to make, haven't we? And I, and I think it's coming because there's the rumours he turned down a contract last September and the, and the wages that Arsenal offered him weren't that much more than what he's actually on now. So they're going to obviously have negotiation. So let's see how far they go. Mm-hmm. If they decide he's the man, that's fine by me. Absolutely yeah, yeah. fine by me. Uh, but I will be interested to see what happens. And I don't think it's going to be just down to Arsenal. He's somebody that's an intelligent boy. He seems to have his career mapped out his own mind. He said for many years ago he wanted to spend some time abroad. He's 27, coming up to 28. A year left in his contract. This is the moment when he needs to decide what he wants to do also. And you and you could see him playing abroad and doing really well as well because the, the slower pace of the game, they really, they really cherish midfield goal scorers. You know, and so... Let's see what happens. I don't think it's going to be Arsenal's decision on their own. I don't think we're going to. I think it's going to be down to the him as well. And it wouldn't surprise me if he decided, I'm not going to re-sign. I'm going to try a new chapter. And um, and if he did, I, I, it wouldn't be the end of the world. If he stayed, I think it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Look, I want to get to a quick Spurs preview, so I want to start to wrap up on this game, but uh, maybe do some quick hits. So, quick hit for you here, Tim. Two two quick hits. First of all. Alex Iwobi, I thought this was a good performance. Obviously a player I've been a little bit critical of. I thought he did well here. Is it as simple for you as this is a player that is much better on the left than the right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit. Also, um, you know, you put... You're missing Alexis and Ozil and you put in Alex Iwobi. Obviously, like, that's a bit of a drop-off. Alex Iwobi is not at that level. Um, I I think a point you've made quite a lot and quite well. He's just not at that level where you can put him in for Mesut Ozil and expect him to do the same thing. Um, Because he's a young player, still learning his way. Put him into a team that is that is playing well with other creators, um, you know, who've really... So, like, Mkhitaryan and Ozil, they're the ones you expect... They're the ones with the burden, as it were, to create the goals. And, you know, Iwobi, that's who he is. Iwobi doesn't strike me. I'm not sure he'll ever be, you know, the, the final pass player or the, the finish player. But, you know, he he's, he's a kind of oils the engine type of player. Um, and, you know, also he's a young player. So, obviously, he's going to look better when the team play better and he's going to look worse when the team don't play that well. And I think this was just a case of him enjoying himself playing alongside yeah. a couple of creative players who are, who are playing very well. I mean, just quickly then, I mean, if we're going to play this 4-2-3-1, which I think you could loosely describe this that way, would you be comfortable with that? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Why couldn't it be Ozil, Mkhitaryan, and Ramsey in the three behind Aubameyang, and then you give an athletic, more defensive-minded, possession-oriented platform behind them like an El Nenny and Maitland Niles or a Shaka and El Nenny or something like that. I mean, could Ramsey move into the Awobi role and and yep. be just as effective there and then give us a little bit more of a controlling platform behind that? Yeah, yeah, I think so for certain games. Um probably, you know, for the, for this game I, I didn't think it was necessary, well, but certainly yeah, not, I, yeah. I I I think uh yeah, it's it's kind of horses for courses, you know. Um if you, it, it depends what type of game you got. Whether you want that kind of more slightly creative ball carrier, or if you want 
someone who's running off the ball. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see perhaps Ramsey play on the right against Spurs. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd certainly be very comfortable playing in there. I, th- I think Ramsey, when he was in that position a couple of seasons ago, was incredibly effective. Agreed. Yep. Okay. So then, uh, okay, yeah, Clive, do you want to quickly weigh in? In our quick, yeah, that in was our my that was section. my <laughs> that was my fa- that was my favourite Ramsey actually when he played on the right when he played with Bellerin and Bellerin first burst in. I think he might have played there on the Villa Cup final. I think if I remember rightly. And um, and I just I just thought he was free. He could do what he liked. He was incredibly hard to to pick up, and he would partner with Ozil and he would get in and he would just get back out there to help Bellerin out defensively I, I loved it and um, but he didn't and he wanted to be in the centre and um, and that was part of the that was part of the problem right so um, so yeah he wasn't happy there so although I really liked him there um, okay so my quick hit for you Clive is Kosinac guy we signed for free from yeah. the Bundesliga player of the season or Sunday league player we mistook for a Bundesliga player of the season uh, yeah, well, I, I went to a few of the early games and I saw him live and I thought, wow, he is excellent. And he's, I think he scored against one team one of the games we saw, smashed a shot and we were struggling a little bit. And um, yeah, I really liked the edge that he brought, the physicality that he brought. But even in that, that game, watching him, if you watch from about 70 minutes onwards, he ran out of puff. And when he runs out of puff, he is dead on the back post he's a dead body can't defend can't move defensively he's just finding it a little bit challenging why didn't he jump for Calvert-Lewin to me it looked like it looked like he was scared he was going to get like clattered in the head or something like that I why does he not all he has to do is jump there and that's never a goal yeah I I I, I, he looked a bit stuck to the ground, right, and nailed to the floor. And he was in between two men. I, I, he wasn't sure what to do. I, I don't over criticise him for that. What What does concern me is his just general mobility is a little bit off. And he picked up a hip injury, and I think those hip injuries are major. They're major, and I wonder what physical state he's actually in. You know, some players carry injuries right away through the season. Maybe he needs an operation. I, I'd, I'm loath to rush to judgment on this one because when he was hot at the start of the year, he was really hot. He was a major part with Alexis down the left-hand side, that combination that they had. He was getting to the byline. So offensively, he was a major part of our, of our better periods at the early part of the season. And then he, he got injured and he's dropped away massively. So I'm going to conclude that he's not fit. I'm not going to conclude he's a dead body at the moment. And we, we're playing him, or he's on the bench, but I'm just not sure he's quite right. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried, I have, to, I have to admit, and I am prone to worrying, so that's why my friends call me Whiskers. Um, Tim, final quick hit, one-sentence answer. VAR, mm, what is it good for? Uh, absolutely nothing. Say it again. <laughs> um, okay, so that was the layup. But all right, let's 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 come on to the question on everybody's lips, um, other than the lips of the girl with Delhi. You know what? Nope, not, not doing it. Um, Islington FC at Islington FC had the question, Oscar at Rionawal. Is that? Do you think I'm saying that right? Rionawal? Rionawal? Um, yeah, I, I don't know who you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good guy. Good follow, by the way. Um, both yeah. good follows, I'm sure. Uh, Ask the question, do we stick with the same system for Spurs at home or bring back 
the back three, given how effective our game plan was against them at the Emirates. We had just the right plan against them. They, to me, Tim, look like a team that if you can just sit compact and hit long balls all day, they can't defend you. Every time Liverpool played long against them, they looked like they could create a chance. The key is just not to play through them. Don't play through the middle of your defensive half and you're safe mm. against them. It's the only place they can hurt you, and it's a place we love to hurt ourselves. So... How do we how do we set up? How would you like to see us set up? What's the right approach for this game? I think this is definitely one for the back three. Um, again, I, I just don't think the back four is secure enough against um, a team like Tottenham with the attacking talent they've got. I, I think the the one thing that um, we don't you, you're quite right about that long ball. You know, Liverpool were hitting that channel time and time again, and look at what we did. Spurs at home constantly looking for Alexis on. Da- Robinson Sanchez and we went over the top um, on that and we just constantly put him in a foot race against Davinson Sanchez obviously we don't have Alexis on the left this time so what we what we do on that left hand side is it's going to be really interesting um, I I wouldn't be too surprised to see Ramsey on the right Mkhitaryan left um, Ozil in the middle um, you know, can Mkhitaryan replicate what Alexis did or do we, you know, try something different? I don't know. But this, this for me, is definitely a game for a back three. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think I'm worried. I'm a little bit worried about Granit Xhaka in this game, although it must be said he's <laughs> worried generally about him had some... <laughs> True, true. Generally, he's had some pretty decent performances against Tottenham. Um, but, you know, this... this just don't, this just don't play it through that us. area, Tim. Just avoid yeah. that. Like, like yeah. do what we did. We have the perfect system. Play it to the wing backs. Get it up the pitch long. Play it quickly, long to the forwards. Avoid the middle of the pitch. They can't hurt you as long yeah. as you just sit in. Yeah, and, you know... I don't put so much stock in this psychologically, maybe a bit, but it's Wembley. Um, and we've got a good record of Wembley at late. And yeah. one of the reasons for that is because I think we know how to use the spaces on that pitch. And I think that could be significant. And, you know, we've played on the counter um, at Wembley. We did it in the Community Shield um, against Chelsea. And we, we, you know, we did it quite well. Um, and we pushed, we were able to push them back. Um, you know, we played against Man City, you know, with a back three at Wembley as well. And so I, I don't put quite so much stock in the psychological side per se, but the fact that we know the spaces on that pitch, um, I think could be could be quite significant for us. Um, but yeah, I, I'd definitely go with the back three to try and cover cover some of those spaces going backwards. Um, but that that's the thing I'm slightly... I don't know, concerned about maybe that we, we don't have that same um, Alexis-esque outlet for us on the left. Whether we try and do something different, um, whether we go to the right-hand side or whether now we've got a Bamiyang up front hitting the channels and going a bit longer is perhaps more of a more of an option than it, than it was with Lacazette, um, quite possibly. Um, but Very yeah, possibly. how he sets... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the Obama, how, the Obama running in behind factor is is a big factor, admittedly, in this. Yeah, one. agreed. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, so just one last question for you on that, and then then I'll give Clive his go at this. But so, just in terms of the amount of goals Tottenham will score on Saturday, what percentage of their goals do you think will be directly because David Ospina was standing in his net trying to save the, the shot? <laughs> 
Um, yeah, either that or, you know, he's got this funny thing, which is a bit of a flaw for a goalkeeper that he doesn't seem to know what to do with his arms. So, um, <laughs> he maybe he crosses. I mean, I, look, I, I hate to bag on the yeah. guy, but he's, he's terrible in the air. He's terrible on set pieces. Yeah. He, he's such a liability and, and it looks like that's what we're facing, right? I mean, he's, he's probably going to be the guy, isn't he? Yeah. And, you know, Pochettino is a manager who is uh, very good, um, at identifying weaknesses, um, in other teams so if indeed Espina does play I wouldn't be surprised if they they try and target him um, a little bit but uh, yeah we'll we'll see on that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be hugely um, enthused to see him in goal whatever checks issues the, are at the, the moment only I'd thing still I'd far say, prefer him if I wanted to have like an optimistic view of it I'd say there are two things that Ospina does he's probably the better pure shot stopper maybe yeah. Um, and he's quick off his line. And that, you know, that, yeah, for yeah. better or worse, he's a little quicker off his line than check. I don't think Spurs yeah. are a team you worry so much about set pieces. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a, a shot for it not to be a catastrophe. And maybe check will play. Who knows? Not that check has exactly been, uh, you know, the next coming of Buffon. So, you know, we'll mm. see. Um, so, Clive, yeah. I guess the question is, um, is well, how do, how do you want us to line up? You know, what's, what's, well, what's the right approach? Well, I think I would like to see us settle on back three away from home full stop. Just clarity of mind, right? I think this, this, you know, the Swansea game really showed me how confused we were. And we just clear it up, right? Just say, okay, away from home, we're going to start with three. And at home, we're going to, we're more likely going to play a four. I mean, when we come to a top six game, we'll, we'll review it. I, I'm okay with that. I'll be fine. I think the, and I think now I know that Peter Cech may not be playing. I'm even more convinced with another centre half in there to make sure in the air we're more secure. And um, and yeah, I just think we just look good. I mean, it's something about Wembley. All my Spurs mates, I say to them, "How can you play in the ground with red seats? Right? That must have an effect on your mind, right?" And but when we go there, that's a home ground for us. And and Tim knows exactly what I mean. When we go to the cup finals, it's it just feels right when we go there, and we've got we've got a great record. And um, I am not. I am not worried about this game in the slightest, and the, and the reason why is <laughs> because I, you're honestly, on drugs. <laughs> no, I tell you, you gotta you gotta think it through. Trust me, think it through. I'm not worried. Try not to do that. And the reason why, uh, you, you, you're dead right. If we play in the right areas, they haven't got the dexterity to stay with us. You know, let's just talk this through. It's going to be Eric Dyer running against the Bamyang on that side. Davison Sanchez. He's looking more and more like Mangala by every single week, right? And he's a very promising player at the start. He's a young player. He's playing a lot of games, and he's giving you a chance a game, right? He's not good on the ball. I would press him off the ball. Eric Dyer is just not good full stop, right? So all you've got to do is you've got, you've got to manage Dembele, which is going to be a challenge. But again, Ramsey's got the talent. He's got the running ability to move him around, and he's got the strength these days to stay with him when he's fit. So I just think if we can get into those areas where, where we're good, I think we've got a great chance of hurting them. I, I think what we have to watch for, I mean, Spurs has finished very strong against Liverpool at the weekend. They've got a game in midweek. They haven't got a big enough, bigger squad as we have. I know it's not a, a tough game, but they've still got to play it. And, and we're sitting at home watching these tenders, right? So it should be, it should be good. It, it, I've got a good feeling about this one. I think it's all about the areas that we play in. And if we play it properly... Wing backs pushing them back, causing Trippier and Davis issues in wide areas, stretch them away from their centre backs. 
I think we can take him. Yeah. All right. Well, I love that viewpoint. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I mean, I think we saw against Liverpool that they aren't incredible defensively if you just start playing in their half. It's when you're playing in your own half that they can absolutely destroy you. And we just don't need to be doing that. We've destroyed ourselves enough this season playing in our own half. Uh, quick, quick, quick uh, prediction, Tim. Oof. I, th- I think it might be a draw. I think 2-2. Um, two, two. Clive? 2-0 Arsenal. <laughs> it's back on. Well, gonna, it's fucking back on. <laughs> Arsenal's done it again. Three. He's won us all over again. If My he God. scored the first goal, mate, I tell you now, they're going to push us, they're going to push us. But then we have got the players now to break. So first goals are really important. Yeah, yeah, I can almost hear it now. Well, it's been a it's been an Ospina and and Mustafi masterclass as Arsenal come away with the victory. <laughs> um, in any event, sorry for the uh, for the uh, accent there, guys. That's dreadful. Um, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, my name is Elliot Smith. You should block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review because these gentlemen deserve it. I certainly do not, Scott, as well. Um, write nasty things about Paul. Easy enough. Something sexual, preferably. In any event, look, let's just hope we don't blow it. Let's hope we don't suck. Let's hope nobody goes down easily. These are all Deli Alley jokes, guys. I mean, you work with what you're given. In any event, my name is Elliot Smith. I already did that. Let's, uh, let's go up the arsenal. Come on. Big Derby Day. Derby Day victory at Wembley, our home, not theirs. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Spurs 0.